right. Good evening, good evening. How are y'all? You good? Well, grace and peace. My name is Brett, and uh, I want to welcome you all to the table. I'm so uh, yeah, glad that you could join us tonight. And uh, if this is your first time, or just your first few times, you're coming a good time of year, because we are kicking off a, a brand new little kind of a mini-series, little mini-Christmas series um, on joy. And um, I think this is something we could use more of in our culture and uh, something we can all kind of grow into. So um, the title of my message tonight is A Religion of Joy. And uh, I know that word religion, for different people, that can be um, kind of a bit of a turnoff. I don't mean it in a weird way. I just mean it. I know a lot of, I think a lot of Christians at times distance themselves. Like, well, I've even heard people say, you know, like, I don't, I'm not religious, you know, um, you know, I'm just a Christ follower or whatever. And it's kind of like, well, that ends up being, you know, you have practices and you probably attend church or read a scripture or pray. And that's like being kind of religious, you know. So I mean it in just in that sense. I don't mean it in sort of a stodgy kind of a religion of joy. I just mean it in kind of a normal, I don't know, Christian sense. Uh, just a religion of joy. That's um, what I believe um, Christianity is. So, um, so our guiding passage for this whole series um, is going to be from Luke chapter 2. It'll be familiar to many of you. And uh, the story goes a little something like this. So the Romans uh, required a census of all of their outlying provinces uh, way back in the first century. Uh, and so that meant, of course, that Mary and uh, Joseph uh, had to return to their uh, original home, specifically uh, Joseph's original home, to be um, basically accounted for there. So Joseph and Mary, they um, make the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Uh, this is quite a trek. Um, it is 90 miles. And uh, in modern times, it's honestly not that bad. It takes you two hours and 22 minutes, according to Google. I looked it up. I just typed Nazareth to Bethlehem. And I guess there's a nice highway now. And uh, back then, no fancy highway. So this would have been, uh, you know, probably they walked uh, or went by donkey and made uh, this, this journey up to Bethlehem. And, uh, and when they arrived, uh, it's really likely that Joseph's extended family um, was just pretty, that it was, that their home was packed. And so this is why um, they end up staying in the stable this, I know kind of the modern, or not modern, but the, the way the story often goes is sort of like, you know, the innkeeper was there, the jolly old innkeeper, and he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'd love to have you stay, but we just couldn't fit you for the night, you know, no room in the inn, and he put up a no vacancy sign. That's, I mean, that's really, I don't know, I think that's probably a little bit more um, English 17th century kind of imagery, because they're like, oh, we have innkeepers, we know what it's like. And uh, in the Bible time, this was different in the first century. They didn't like have probably like innkeepers. It was... Um, the way if they've done some archaeology on, on buildings and such um, and homes and basically in Bethlehem it was layers you'd have like sort of first story second story third story sometimes different generations living in those even in the Middle East today that's like still a common way to structure it you just keep building on levels as you have more kids and people kind of move up and so what they would do is you would have the bottommost level was the stable and it was where of course the animals stayed a because it's hard to get the animals up the stairs right and B, because it, they were warm. And so they would sort of, in the winter, they would warm the entire house, right? Because that's the steam from their bodies would kind of rise up through the house. Right? 
So that's kind of the setting. It's very likely that they, it wasn't necessarily the jolly old innkeeper, but it was that they went, they're staying in probably family's extended home. And so why the stable? Because that was A, the most private, um, the quietest, uh, and um, probably the warmest place in the, in the home. And so there's Mary and Joseph. And uh, of course, time came. She goes into labor, labor. She gives birth to her firstborn son, and they wrap him in cloths and lay him in uh, a manger. Uh, meanwhile, the shepherds are watching their sheep by night, as I think the King James Version puts it. And of course, why? Because sheep, sheep are dumb, sheep are vulnerable, and so they need someone to watch them at night. So bad things don't happen. So there's the, uh, the shepherds watching the sheep. And uh, suddenly, uh, an angel of the Lord uh, appears to the shepherds. And the shepherds begin to uh, shake with fear. And this angel, he, uh, as he appears, it says that the glory of God, that's like the, the beauty of God, um, emanated from him. So they're encountering the beauty and the glory of God. Uh, and then suddenly the angel begins to speak uh, with a voice that rolled like thunder. The angel said these words. He said, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great, which will be for all the people today in the city of David, uh, a king has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Uh, and then suddenly, uh, the night sky is filled with just myriad upon myriad of angels. Uh, this is just potentially like tens of thousands. I mean, the, this night sky is just alive. And what do they do? They, they begin to, just as they declare, so they they speak, they shout, they sing out. What do they say? They say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those upon whom his favor rests. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we, um, we just give you tonight and ask that you would... Um, Take a very old story and a very familiar story and make it fresh and alive and new for us again. So would you give us ears to hear, God, eyes to see, hearts that are open and feet that are quick to respond in obedience. In the life-changing name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So you see, every, um, every religious tradition, it has like its center, you know, its heartbeat. Um, I think probably for the Muslim face, faith, it would be something like, uh, or submission, probably submission to the will of God. Uh, for the Jewish people, it would be um, probably obedience to the Torah. Uh, for the atheist, um, it might be something like the, the thinking rational mind. Right? It's like the center, it's sort of what it's all about. Um, for um, the Christian faith, though, uh, I think, while it can probably, it appreciates all of those things um, and has even sort of space for them. Um, I think probably the Christian faith center is a little bit um, different. And 
um, if I had to kind of name the center, the heart of Christian faith, uh, I think it would be joy. It would be joy. And this goes back to what the shepherds, or sorry, what the angels declared, right? Um, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news, right? Good news of great joy. And uh, what is, like, what is this good news? What is this great joy? It's naming that, um, that God has come among us and that Jesus um, is the human face of God. This is how the theologian Jürgen Moltmann puts it. He says, Jesus is the human face of God. And that in this little baby, this fragile little vulnerable baby, um, this is the revelation, the communication of who God is. And when evil tried to stamp it out, when evil tried to end the life of this communication, this word, this revelation of God, that the Father raised his Son and servant Jesus from the dead. So that end, it is love that wins. And that, I mean, that's good news. Right? And this is, this is why I think, I'd say that the Christian faith, probably right at its very heart, um, it's a religion of joy. Um, and this is why when you walk into any church, um, we do something really strange, usually towards the beginning. We did it tonight, right? So you come in, you sit down, and someone gets up, and it's like, hey, welcome, and all that. And then what do we do? We sing. Right? And it's not simply that like the musicians and the, like they do, you know, and the vocalists, they do the singing and we all sit there and we're like, excellent job, a great performance. You know, like, no, we have the words, right? Up on the screen. Why? To sing along, yes. Right? You're, you guys are on it, right? I know we're all tired. It's a little even. Um, right, just sing along. Right now, I know for probably many of you, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, bro, it's... Um, what all the Christians do, you know, this is the church, right? Uh, but if that's what you think, that's only, the reason it doesn't strike you as strange is just because perhaps you've either been a Christian for a long time or you've been in the church a long time. For anyone who's kind of new to all this, that's like a weird thing because there's just not many places that we go, right? And they're like, hey, we've got to sing along. Come on, we've got the words up on the screen and, you know, come on, everybody. It's like, what is going on? Everyone's singing? Like, well, do we have to sing? Can I just observe, you know, or just appreciate? Or I don't sing good, right? And it's just... It's, right, this is, it's a strange thing. Um, but there is something about singing, right, that it, I don't know, what does it do? It sort of communicates this joy. In fact, this is, um, when I'm in a bad mood, um, I never sing. Never hum, never, like, and I, and I love singing. I love, like, this is my background, is music and all that, so I'm always, but if I'm in a good mood, I mean, I, like, you almost can't stop me. I'm just kind of, like, hmm, 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 you know, just humming, right? And this is a dead giveaway, you know, of someone who's in a good mood, right? It's like the, I don't, what is that? I don't know. It's a weird human thing that this, the, the song sort of, you know, rises up in us. Uh, but it is, it's a, it's a strange thing. In fact, I didn't, I don't think I was really aware of this in Christian faith until I went, I visited um, a different religious tradition. I went to a mosque, this is probably mm, two, two years ago or so, and uh, just uh, engaged in one of uh, a uh, Muslim service. And it was, honestly, it was very beautiful. It was, it was quite different. Um, those folks know how to pray. Like, it was incredibly devout. And for me, honestly, it was a holy moment. 
It was a holy moment. Um, but as I was there, we kind of went through, and it was a lot of you know prayers. And I said earlier that I think probably the center of, of the um, Muslim faith would probably be submission, right? Because and this is in the body language, right? It was pretty much the whole time. It was this, and it was this, and then this, and then this, right? If you walk in and someone's like that, right? Are you thinking like, whoa, they're powerful. They're on a power trip. They're trying to take over the room. Like, no, <laughs> right? They're bad, right? That's, just, that's making yourself small, right? And so that was a lot of the night, or yeah, that, that afternoon was, that was, um, and so we get to the end of the service and I'm kind of walking out and people were very sweet and kind and, and were telling me how grateful they were to have me there. Because um, a lot of our Muslim brothers and sisters, they, they really, um, yeah, they, they want to be loved and they want to not, yeah, they don't want to be seen as our enemies and all, right? Like, yeah, they're really lovely. So, but it, it strikes me as I'm walking out to my car, I thought, you know, that was really cool. But I noticed, what did we not do? sing. No singing. And I don't say that in judgment. Like, they need to introduce some music. You know, like, that's it's okay. That's their, right, their way. But it just, it struck. All of a sudden, it was like, all of a sudden, I saw, right, Christian faith in practice with, like, sort of new eyes. It's sort of that experience you've ever been to, like, a different culture, and you're there long enough that when you come back, what happens? Like, you see, right, your own culture, like, oh my gosh, it's so weird. You know, like, why do we, um, I've been, I went to, I remember going to, um, uh, I went to Mexico when I was in junior high. And uh, so we spent a week there. And then I came back. Now I grew up in Collin County. Uh, and I did, I had no idea. I was rich. I was a rich kid. I grew up my whole life rich. I didn't even, was like, oh, I didn't know. I just thought every, right? And I got a view of the right. And I came home and realized, oh my gosh, what is, go-? right? It was that kind of experience. And this is what happened to me. What going to that service, I realized, huh? It, it, it's um, the heart, the center of Christian faith. It really is. It's it's a religion of joy. It's a, it's a religion of the song. This is how um, Jürgen Moltmann, the German theologian, he he says it like this: uh, Christianity is the religion of Christmas singing and Easter laughter. Isn't that good? And that's really true. It's 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 a, a joyful kind of thing. And so I was just reflecting this week, like, why? Why? Why is that? You know, we could say, well, just because, you know, it's like, well, but I want to unpack it. Like, what's the, where where does that come from? Why is this a religion of joy? I'm going to give you two reasons tonight. So if you're a note taker, you can jot these down. Um, The first one uh, is that Christianity is a religion of joy, number one, because it reveals that God is not angry. God is love. God is not angry. God is love. Uh, for those of you who have heard me uh, talk for any length of time in sermons and such, you have definitely heard me say, I got this from a theologian named Trip Fuller, and he, one of his theological sort of presuppositions, like his just sort of a bedrock idea, and this is true for me too, is this. God has to be at least as nice as Jesus. That's one of my rules. God has to be at least as nice as Jesus. And it's interesting, right? The way people often talk about God doesn't sound, doesn't sound as nice as Jesus. You know, it's like, what? Who is this God? Uh, here's the way that uh, Brian Zahn, uh, he's probably, I, for my money, he's the best preacher in America. I like Brian Zahn. And he puts it, this is a little bit more poetic, but it's the same idea. He says this, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. 
We haven't always known this, but now we do. Isn't that good? God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. Uh, what's, what's he getting at? Especially that we haven't always known this. What do you, what is he, what's he referring there, um, to there? I'm, uh, th- this is where I think he's going, is that uh, when you look at the Bible, that the way God is, we'll call it um, imaged or explained or understood or unpacked, um, is, I'm going to call, I'm going to say it's in process. In other words, um, it's not necessarily super consistent. It kind of changes over time. Uh, now, this kind of leads you to one of two kind of questions, right? Or one of two explanations for that. Um, option A, God changed, right? Uh, and actually, there are theologians. There's actually one I quote a lot. His name is Walter Brueggemann, and I like his work a lot. And he actually believes this. He's, he says, like, yeah, I think God learned. And I love Walter, Walter Brueggemann, but I really disagree with that. Like, that's, I think that's really problematic if you say, like, God, you know, he's kind of in process. Like, he's kind of learning. Like, I tried the anger. I'm going to smite you. You know, all the smiting. That's the King James language. You know, I'm going to smite thee. And right, I tried that route. And that's like, oh, it kind of backfired. Didn't go quite. Didn't, didn't get the results I wanted. Okay, okay. Let me sort of good cop, bad cop thing. That's kind of bad cop. He started bad cop. Now we're going good cop routine, right? So now, okay, that didn't work. So now I'm going to try the love route, right? Um, and I, no, I don't think that's it, right? Because that's, that's problematic, I think, because if you say God is changing, well, then who's to say he won't change again, right? Like, he was super nice last time, but now we're just not sure. That's problematic. Right? So what does that leave you with? That leaves you with uh, option B, um, which is that our human perception and understanding and articulation of God is in process and is changing. And you, and you kind of see a certain trajectory through uh, the Bible. Uh, and in fact, I, I had an experience. I was teaching a class, this is a few years back, um, kind of a, a new Christian class. It was just things like how to pray and um, how to read the Bible. And so we were on that particular week, like how to read the Bible, how to engage it. And uh, a woman, we kind of opened up for some Q&A. And uh, I said, all right, so I want some feedback. You know, we we're just talking about like translations to use and how to read it and, you know, whatever. And she said, I don't really have a question, but I have a statement. And um, I was like, okay. <laughs> and she said, I am you know, very new to faith, but I've been reading the Bible. And so I thought, you know, well, I'll begin in the beginning. And so I did. I, Genesis, she's like, I'm not done, but I'm like a long way through. And she said, I was shocked. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, I, God was and not the whole thing. But at times, God was so mean. That was her quote. God was so mean. And uh, here's the thing. Maybe you expect me to say like, no. But actually, no. I mean, I read the Bible pretty much every day. And I agree. Yeah, there are some places where like, and I'm not going to go into all the examples. That's not the point. That's a whole sermon series, you know. Um, But I can say there's one, for example, in the book, I think it's Jeremiah, where God says he's speaking prophetically um, kind of through Jeremiah, at least that's the idea. But he says to the, the, especially the women of Israel, because um, they've been, I guess, sinning and, and doing bad things. And so he says, I will lift up your skirts over your head and I will come in judgment and you know, eradicate the city. 
Now, what is this um, in? If you know like ancient world history stuff, that is euphemism for rape. Uh, yeah, that's a problem, right? That's like a that's a problem. Now, um, that's something right we have to grapple with. You have to deal with. So either oh, was it God learned? I don't think so, or um, it's more complicated than that, right? Um, so where does this take us? So what I'm kind of naming is that if you read through the Old Testament, it is, it's an admittedly bumpy road. Of course, it's not all like that, right? There, I'm not even saying like, no, the Old Testament's like this and the New Testament. It's not even that simple. There's beautiful, incredible um, articulations of who God is in the Old Testament. Absolutely. Uh, but it's an admittedly bumpy road. Uh, so how do we get here? How do we get to this statement, right, of God is love? How do we, get, how do we go from that to that. How, how do we do that? Um, and that, of course, is uh, Jesus. Jesus reveals who God is. There's a, a beautiful passage from the opening of the Gospel of John, and it says this, in the beginning was the Word. Right? And what's a word? A word, it communicates. A word reveals, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And that light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 14, and that word that communication, that revelation became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. We say it again, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and in closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. What's that saying? God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. You see, God is not angry. God is not into retribution and payback time. God is love. There's a, a remarkable series of conversations. You can find them on YouTube. It's between two people, um, two men that I have deep, deep respect for. Um, it's Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama. Uh, for those kind of you know, unfamiliar with those those two folks. So Desmond Tutu, he is uh, or was the um, basically the Anglican like bishop over South Africa, and he um, headed up something called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission there in South Africa. It was basically um, right. It was uh, apartheid was a thing, right? So um, black versus white. It was racial segregation and discrimination and injustice and violence, and so he led this commission 
that basically um, was trying to seek a path forward that wasn't just civil war, and but that still um, ad addressed the issue. And so I won't go into all of it, but it basically he led this commission that sought to expose the racial injustice and um, uh, and then bring about a restorative justice there and to end the um, the oppression. That was kind of his thing, right? So that's Desmond Tutu. His friend, the Dalai Lama, is of course the um, the leader of the exiled Tibetan people. Uh, so his story is a good. Was it must have been fifty years ago now uh, that China basically came into Tibet uh, with guns and their modern weapons and just said, "Well, you're out," <laughs> and basically just kicked the people of Tibet out of their homes. And the Dalai Lama, who was the leader of his people, kind of both the the religious and political leader. Um, he had to flee for his life. Um, that he made it was a miracle. And he fled to India. And so now you have Desmond Tutu, the Dalai Lama. They have now spent decades of basically fighting injustice. And um, they are, I mean, you can call them kind of activists. You can call them um, just great leaders. These men are like, they're tremendous. But, but here's what strikes me. These series of conversations, they could have come together and talk about anything. Um, you know what the topic of the conversations was that they came to talk about? It was joy. That's what they came together and they had like literally days of conversations was around joy. And I love this because you have two men um, committed to fighting injustice, devoting their lives to this, doing this. Like they're now in their mid to late 80s. And I mean, it's so easy, right? In this kind of fight, to, to get worn down, to become bitter, um, angry. And yet, if you ever, if you, I encourage you to go online and like look these guys up on YouTube because this is like, you hear them, all they do is like they're talking and then they laugh. Like, and the phrase that came to mind for these two is like, they're like the laughing activists. Like they just, kind of, like there's such a deep joy welling up in them. And so what this got me to asking the question is, what is the source of their joy? Like, how do they do that? How do you fight injustice like that? For and, and by the way, it's like, I mean, specifically for the Dalai Lama, he's still exiled, has not returned to his home. Like, things aren't better, and yet he's still there leading his people in his mid-80s. And um, that just begs the question, like, what is the source of their joy? Now, the Dalai Lama, he's, of course, Buddhist. Um, Desmond Tutu is Christian. And so here's a quote. This is from Desmond Tutu, part of those, those conversations. He says this, Dear child of God, you are loved with a love that nothing can shake, a love that loved you long before you were be there long after everything has disappeared. And God wants you to be like God, filled with life and goodness and laughter and joy. Yes, Christianity is a religion of joy because Christ as the human face of God reveals that God is pure love. So that's first. God is not angry. God is love. Second, God is with us, present, involved, and on the move. God is with us, present, involved, and on the move. Um, see, it's all well and good to say we should be filled with you know, goodness and life and laughter and joy. Um, where that gets hard is when we're not, you know, and when life sucks, 
And it's like, this is the worst, right? And we find ourselves depressed and beaten down and bitter. And honestly, I know many of your stories. And I know we've got all sorts of things, right? There's chronic sickness. There is um, challenges like with just ongoing racial discrimination in your life. There's those who have been like basically kicked out of their families because of their sexual orientation. Um, there is a chronic anxiety that like keeps you kind of locked up in your in your um, house away from life and away from the dreams you want to pursue. There's like struggles with job loss and financial pressure. And I mean, on and on and on and on. Um, and yet this is what strikes me about this passage is that it is precisely to you that the gospel, that the good news of Christ comes, right? This was the message of the angel. Do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people for today in the city of David, there has been born for you and you and you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see, Christian does not make you immune to suffering. And discovering more joy does not mean that all of life suddenly becomes sunshine and rainbows. Like, yay! Instead, what Christ reveals to us is that those voices that come to us in the midst of our discouragement and our despair do not have the final word in your life. But Christ, who is Lord of all, he has the final word over your life. And present Holy Spirit, he is with you. He has not abandoned you, but he is redeeming and restoring and healing you. And this is why I believe that Jesus wants to save us, not only like our souls, you know, which we often think of as like the spiritual part of me, but like, but, but us, body and soul and spirit. Like Jesus wants to save us from our fear, from our anxiety, from our pain, from our bitterness and unforgiveness. This is the work he's doing. Now, you might say, well, as I look around, doesn't seem like he's doing a very good job. Um, and it's a good point. But I'll just say this. Never judge the game at halftime. I don't use many sports metaphors, so give me this one. Um, don't, have you ever done that with a game at halftime? Right, it's just like, well, this is over. You turn it off, look at the next morning, check out the score, and you're like, oh my, what? Oh, I missed, you know, like that kind of moment. Um, don't judge the game at halftime. See, I don't know, and like, I know if you're in the newspapers and whatever media, you know, it's like, the end is near, you know, especially kind of Christian world. So the end is always near. Uh, and maybe, maybe it is. I don't, I don't know if we're in the third quarter or like late in the fourth quarter. I don't know. Um, but here's what I do know. God is with us, present, involved, and on the move. And at the end of the day, love wins. Love wins. And, and so keep going. Keep working. Keep fighting for justice. Keep loving keep caring, don't give up, and most of all, live with joy. Live with joy.
Christ is present. Christ is risen. Christ has come in this little baby, and that should give us tremendous joy. You bow your heads, close your eyes, let me pray for you. Uh, Lord Jesus, I want to just lift up each person sitting here. And, um, you know, I know um, all that you're, that you're carrying. And maybe you came through those double doors and uh, are feeling pretty overwhelmed today. Um, maybe you don't feel like you have a lot of joy. Maybe you're stressed out. And if you're in that place, I just want to pray this over you, that Christ is present to you. He's not given up on you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's not angry. He's not disappointed in you. He's proud of you. He's proud that you're still fighting. He's proud that you're still moving forward. He's proud that you're still loving, trying, longing to be faithful to him. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so God, I just pray over my brothers and sisters, my friends, would you encourage them, be with them, help them know that they are loved and treasured and cherished. God, help us to find joy in this season. In the midst of craziness, help us to find joy. Christ, I pray.